Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, New York Jets fans, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. We are here talking post-2020 NFL draft, checking in on who the Jets draft with their eight picks, or so we thought. What did Joe Douglas do with the draft? How do we approach it? What positions and need did we fill? A ton of stuff I want to get to today, so I'm, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm going to get right to it. This episode is going to be pretty straightforward. We're going to break down the 2020 NFL draft. I'm going to start with a recap of the virtual draft. Then I'm going to recap the positions and need that we had going into this thing. We're going to do a, a pick recap, including the trades that went on, kind of go over what players we got, do a what's on tap, and then do a breakdown of each player. So I'm originally kind of just going to go through who'd we get. Then we're going to go back and just touch base on, all right, who is this guy? What does he bring to the table? What is he going to do? I got a nice father time in store for this episode, draft related, of course. Check out on uh, what my dad's got, thoughts on this draft. And then we're going to do what did we learn about Joe Douglas from this draft? And then talk a little bit of undrafted free agents because you know there's a few more guys that slip through the cracks that may be difference makers for the New York Jets. So all that stuff and more in this episode. Really looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, just want to get right to it. So before I begin this episode, I want to remind you, rate, review, subscribe this podcast anywhere it's found. Anywhere podcasts are found, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, anything like that. And then on gangreennation.com as this podcast is powered by engined through gangrenation.com you can find the episodes on there you can engage with other fans myself included and uh, i really appreciate all feedback anything like that that i get for you guys so thank you very much and you can follow me on twitter at jets underscore dan and get my thoughts throughout the week on what's going on with the new york jets as things come up i was very active over the weekend with the draft and everything. Um, haven't had a chance to put the podcast out, but for the whole draft weekend, Thursday through Saturdays, I'm watching the entire thing start to finish. Thoughts going on. I freaked out at a couple points. Want to kind of like, you know, let everyone know I'm okay now. There was a low moment where I was just like, oh my gosh, we're getting back into another Mike McCagnan draft. But alas, things went back in the right direction. I'm in a really good place now. Spoiler alert, I love this New York Jets draft class. Super excited about the players that we got and uh, the way Joe Douglas approached it. But yeah. Let's get into it. All right, so a quick recap of the virtual draft in itself. Obviously, a very different situation than we're used to. It's not the red carpet event. It's not the big gala, fancy, supermodel expo that it usually is. Instead of having players come down all dressed up, sitting in a stadium or a room, waiting for their name to be called up, come on stage and shake the commissioner's hands, they were just on webcams with their families waiting for the pick to come in. I thought that this was way better than it usually is. I thought it focused on football more thought it showed the families and the players and their natural habitats where they want to be and the clothes that they would wear. It didn't spoil the picks. It didn't show the guys picking up the phone call before it happened very often where you're like, oh, well, he's clearly getting drafted here. They did a good job of not showing that stuff. They still had some player interviews, which was nice. Maybe a little bit more Roger Goodell than we would have wanted. Usually Roger Goodell does the picks on day one and they have like ex-players, make-a-wish kids and Navy veterans and stuff do picks on day two and they just do a scroll basically for day three. In this one, Roger Goodell did the picks for day one and two, and they went to the scroll for day three. It was a little bit more Roger Goodell than we really wanted to see, but at the end of the day, this thing focused on football. It had, it was seamless from a technical standpoint. Props to the IT department and everybody that went into getting this whole thing set up. I know it seems like a very easy platform and engine to run something through. It's just putting picks in, 
But with the amount of time that they have and the amount of people that they have to get cohesively on board to make this thing work between players, IT people, general managers, front offices, all that, the NFL media people, it was a lot. And the thing went smooth. There were very few issues and hiccups in this thing. And yeah, I I think it was a, a great success. The numbers showed it. I think it was the highest watched draft ever, 55 million viewers between three days. In a way, it's like, what do you expect? Nobody has anything else to do. You're sitting home, you're watching the draft. There are people that maybe would be, you'd get five people. They'd all go to one house, watch the draft together. During the pandemic, you got five people, separate houses watching the draft. So I'm not surprised that the numbers were very high. But I hope that the NFL takes a look and just says, maybe we don't have to do so much red carpet stuff. Maybe it doesn't have to be like the intro to the Grammys and all that. Maybe it can just be a football event where we watch players get drafted, we learn about them, and we move on. So I was happy with the way the draft went. Overall, great work from the NFL, and I hope they take some pieces of this one moving forward. So that's the recap of the draft itself. Now we can talk about the real stuff, the good stuff, the New York Jets stuff, and there's a lot I want to get into. We're going to start with the New York Jets' positions of need coming into this draft, because before the draft, that's what we talked about on the podcast. What are the Jets' positions of need? What do they need to focus on in this thing? My number one need for the New York Jets, offensive tackle. Number two, wide receiver. Third biggest need for the team, cornerback, followed by edge rusher at number four. We had interior offensive line, even though we didn't necessarily need a starter right away. That's our fifth biggest need. Running back comes in at number six. We don't need a starter. We've got Le'Veon Bell, but we desperately need a backup. Number seven, safety. Rontez Miles not in the fold. We don't have Terrence Brooks or a guy like that that we really feel can be a third safety for the New York Jets. Greg Williams likes to be exotic. Jamal Adams, Marcus May. We've got two guys. We needed a third one. Safety in there at number seven. At eight, we had kicker, and then we had punter. Right now, our kickers, Sam Ficken, Brett Maher. Neither guy we are confident going in this season with. We would like to bring a better kicker into training camp if we can. Punter, we don't even really have one. Lock Edwards not under contract right now. Super big need. And then number nine, the backup quarterback. Because we do have David Fales at this point. Sam Darnold's our number one quarterback, obviously, the most important player on the entire team. This whole thing runs through him. If Sam Darnold goes down, just like last year, the whole thing is screwed to begin with. But if you have a quarterback that can maybe come in two, three games in a season, which happens all the time. Sam Darnold's first two years, he didn't play full years. So when you bring your backup quarterback in, if they can win one game, two games, like if Luke Falk was able to win one or two of those games, I mean, think of the way the season went. We finished seven and nine. We could have easily been eight and eight. What about nine and seven? Possible playoff team. These are the differences that a backup quarterback can make. So that was my my final 10th position of need. And I said this was going to be a successful draft if the New York Jets selected out of their eight picks half of the players from this list, especially the ones towards the top. Numbers one through six, offensive tackle, wide receiver, cornerback, edge rusher, interior offensive line, and running back. That's what I wanted to focus on. If half of our picks went to that, four guys, I thought that would be a success coming out. And then, of course, you want to have a 50% hit rate from the draft moving forward but you're not going to find that until your evaluation is about two years from now. There's no way for us to know right now if any of these players are going to be hits. Even the top-rated pick that we got still potentially could be a bust. Happens all the time. So at this point, just like, let's make sure that we're focusing on the positions of need. Do Joe Douglas's values and his needs align with what I'm thinking? Because I spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff, put these podcasts out, and it's nice. it would be nice to know that I'm not completely up my own butt. Maybe I have an idea what's going on and what this team needs to do. So... Mike McCagnon, oftentimes I felt like I knew which way the team should go, and then he'd kind of hit me with like a, we're doing this. And you're like, 
huh, okay. You know, I didn't think middle linebacker was a huge need, but yes, C.J. Mosley's really good. We'll spend $17, $18 million. A lot of situations like that, we were just sitting back like, okay, you're doing that. I was very curious to see how Joe Douglas would handle this draft. And I got to say, I'm still very pleased with it. So those are the big positions in need going into the draft. Now the question is, who did we take? We had eight picks going into this draft. We knew what they were. We were very excited for them. New York Jets had the number 11 pick in the draft. Number one, they take offensive tackle, Makai Becton. Awesome. Position in need. Guy plays left and right. Amazing. Regardless of what his skill set is, we're going to talk about that stuff later. Happy with the position. Number two, the New York Jets have the number 48 pick in the draft. We're up on the board. It's like, all right, wide receiver's the guy to take. Denzel Mims is on the board. He's the guy I want badly. I can't believe he fell at this point. It's like, all right, 48, he's there. We never thought he'd be available there. We thought we were going to have to trade up, but he's there. Got to take him. Joe Douglas trades back. At this point, this is where I start kind of losing my mind. I'm like, are you serious? He's there. It's Denzel Mims. He's the guy I wanted from the very beginning. This is one of the best receivers in the entire draft. An instant game changer for Sam Darnold. How are we passing up on this? He trades back. He gets the number 101 pick and the number 59 pick from the Seattle Seahawks. All right. It is what it is. What can you do? The New York Jets, wait, I'm sitting at this point just thinking like all the people that we passed up on moving down 11 spots. What are we thinking? Jets get up at number 59. Denzel Mims is still on the board. At this point, my dad's kind of like freaking out because he's like, wait a minute, I wanted Denzel Mims so bad. What is he doing on the board still? He should not be there. There's some sort of red flag, some sort of drug infraction, personality issue, an injury we don't know about. Something's not right. Not adding up. He shouldn't be there. So now he starts kind of like backing away. I'm like, no, we got to take Denzel Mims. Joe Douglas selects with the pick. Wide receiver out of Baylor, Denzel Mims. Amazing. The guy wanted at 48, and he adds pick 101 on top of it. I don't know if he had that plan going in. I don't know if he knew that was going to happen. But either way, the end result was incredible because we got the guy I wanted and an extra pick. Super happy so far. Pick number 68. This year is our first pick of the third round. And the New York Jets select Ashton Davis, safety out of California. This guy's basically a free safety, but he can play cornerback if he needs to he can hit pretty well we're going to talk about him a little bit more later but we take him so it's a a position to need for the new york jets it's a top 10 position the backup safety the number three safety did we take him a little high potentially but we got a guy in the position to need the player was potentially a steal he was ranked a little bit higher on a lot of boards at his skill level and we take him there so that's good now it's pick number 79 the new york jets select jabari zuniga edge rusher slash defensive end out of Florida. I know what you're thinking. Third round edge rusher from Florida. This is like hints of Jakai Polite. Let's not worry about that. Let's not get in our own heads here. Let's see what the guy can do. Edge rusher. Number four need on this team. Joe Douglas has already addressed it. We've now got a tackle, a wide receiver, and an edge rusher. We've got number one, two, and four on the needs list. And we've added an extra pick while doing it. Now it's pick number 101. Right with the New York just traded for. They trade that pick to the New England Patriots, who select a tight end, and they get pick number 125, 129, and a sixth from the Patriots in 2021 next year. In my mind, this was an absolute fleece job by Joe Douglas. He took the Patriots down in this one. He traded back 25 picks, 24 picks, added another pick right after that, and then a pick in the sixth round of next year. Three picks for the price of one for them to select their second tight end of the draft, 
Dalton Keene, who I'm not even worried about this guy. People are like, well, what about the guy that the Patriots get the New York Jets give him? You're going to always be linked to him and like giving him the player. It's a tight end, Dalton Keene, that I am not in any way worried about. And we added three picks from it. Absolutely incredible. So now it's like the pick that we were going to take Denzel Mims with. Essentially, we wanted to take Denzel Mims at 48. We traded 48 for 59 and 101. Got Denzel Mims at 59. Traded 101 for 125 and 129. Got two more picks from that and have a pick from next year. So we turned pick number 48 into Denzel Mims and three picks. That's freaking awesome. I mean, that is like ridiculous manipulation of the draft, owning the board, owning the table. And this is the way that you make great drafts, getting extra bodies and getting the guys that you want at the same time. Super happy with that. So now it's pick number 120, Jets' original pick. We take LaMichael Pirine, running back, out of Florida. This guy, bring him in, number two running back behind Le'Veon Bell. We knew it was a need going in. Still, we're five picks deep in this draft, and we've already addressed five positions of need. I couldn't be happier right now. There's no tight end sneaking in. There's no defensive tackle sneaking in. And it's getting to the point where it's like, all right, it's later in the draft. If you want to take a flyer on a guy that maybe we don't need just in case because you really like him, that's okay. We've already gotten enough guys that I like at this point. Now it's pick 125 we got from the Patriots. The Jets select James Morgan, quarterback out of Florida Atlantic, also played for Bowling Green. Now the Jets have their backup quarterback, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, it's not a huge deal. Like, is this guy going to be great? Is he not going to be great? Because it's a position of need. You've got your young backup quarterback to learn under Sam Darnold. He's never going to be the answer because Sam is the guy. But you have a young quarterback that's going to be there. You feel better than having Luke Falk. You feel like you're making a difference, like you're improving the position. So now it's like, oh my God, what's left? What do we need, a cornerback, a punter, and a kicker to have every single position of need answered in this draft? the next pick and interior offensive line well that brings us to our next pick number 129 the new york jets select cam clark and at this point cam clark is a left tackle out of charlotte but everybody sees him as a fit to move into guard basically an interior offensive lineman of the future while he was a good left tackle he played for a smaller school like charlotte doesn't have huge size and he looks like a natural fit to slide in perfect the new york jets need interior offensive line and we knew it the new york jets draft a guy there cam clark left tackle, soon to be guard out of Charlotte. Now it's pick number 158. We're running out of needs. We're running out of holes. It's like, we don't know who to draft here. I guess we could take a cornerback. Joe Douglas does it. He takes Bryce Hall, a guy that I would have been happy taking from rounds three through four. Now we're getting him in round five because Bryce Hall is an absolute baller. He was on my list before this thing. When we did our draft preview episode, Bryce Hall was a guy that I brought up as like, he would be a great pick for the New York Jets. Round three or four, I said, he's a guy. We take him in five. So now we've got a cornerback to bring into the mix and a guy that looks really good. Oh my gosh, what's next? We need a punter and a kicker? Think that's left on the needs board? Well, pick number 191, the New York Jets select Braden Mann, punter out of Texas A&M, and a damn good one at that. So now we've replaced Lachlan Edwards. It's like, I I don't even know. I guess the last pick all we need to do is draft Rodrigo Blankenship at pick number 211. Joe Douglas selects not to. He trades the pick to the uh, Indianapolis Colts again, Another trade to them for another cornerback. Former second-round cornerback from Florida, Quincy Wilson. You may remember him. He was opposite a tease to Boer in Florida. Joe Douglas makes the trade for him. So another cornerback, which was a position of need. When you look through this draft class, in terms of what the Jets needed going in, we nailed it. When you look at value in terms of getting players 
maybe a little bit later than they should have gone. Guys like Denzel Mims, Bryce Hall, Ashton Davis. We nailed it. When you talk about adding value, acquiring extra picks, the New York Jets nailed it. They turned eight picks into ten players. Awesome. This draft fit positions of need, and it was killer. So they leave this thing with Makai Becton, Denzel Mims, Ashton Davis, Jabari Zaniga, LaMichael Pirine, James Morgan, Cam Clark, Bryce Hall, Braden Mann, and Quincy Wilson. That's not counting the undrafted free agents. The New York Jets have added about 10 of them so far. They'll continue to add probably five or six more. But these are the guys that we're going to be monitoring most closely because everybody knows your team, the NFL, everybody. It's built through the draft. These are the players that you get first dibs at, that you can give a second contract to. And while they're there in the beginning for the first four or five years, they're playing under rookie contracts, making the least amount of money of anybody in the league. So because the importance of these guys specifically in Joe Douglas's career and the New York Jets moving forward, the way we build around Sam Darnold, we are going to monitor them closely. The way that last year we spent a lot of time talking about guys like Chuma Adoga, talk about guys like Foley Fadakasi, Marcus May, Jamal Adams, all the guys that we drafted. These are the guys that are the most important, right? There's a bunch of other guys in the team that, yes, can be difference makers, but the guys that we bring in on rookie deals that we drafted, invested in, and saw as perfect fits for our team at some point along the way in the process, those are the guys we want to pan out. So we are going to remember these guys, and we are going to watch them closely all year long, training camp, preseason, regular season, get to know these guys, get to know these names. Now I am going to go through, I'm going to break down each one of these guys, kind of what they do, their size, their skill set. I'm not going to focus too much on, you know, what I think about them, how good they're going to be, because it's all so subjective right now, anything can happen. But before we get into that, we're going to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little bit of What's On Tap. That is right, folks, this is What's On Tap, the section of the podcast where I talk about the beer that I'm currently drinking while recording it. Today it is a beer, it is a smutty nose pomegranate zing sour yeah it's as crazy as it sounds it's basically a goza it's a sour beer fruity um it's definitely got that pomegranate zing to it so the name is right on par i don't really know what a pomegranate tastes like i guess but it's it's what you'd imagine it to be it's juicy um the color of it is what color is it it's actually i can't see it i'm like pouring it out of my hand it's clear you would think that it was like a dark red because it has that strong berry sort of flavor to it. But apparently it's clear, which is probably good. It means they're not adding a bunch of weird stuff to it. Um, or it means that it's not made from real fruit. It's made from syrup. Now I don't know. But ABV of this thing is 4.5%, so it's nothing too crazy. But it's got nice flavor. It's like it's kind of what I consider, and this is actually why I bought it, it's what I consider a breakfast beer because it's like fruity and juicy. So if you don't want to drink like an orange juice or an apple juice in the morning, you can have a nice beer like this. I know what you're thinking, Dan, are you crazy? You're drinking breakfast beers now? It hasn't gotten to that point per se, but I play a lot of um, golf and disc golf in the morning on the weekends, and it's hard to do that for like two, three hours when you're having a, a somewhat rough day and you don't have a confidence-boosting beverage with you. So yes, breakfast beers in those circumstances are important during the week. My Monday through Friday, nine to five job, I am not having breakfast beers. Don't worry. But this one, Smutty Nose Brewing Company, which is up located in Hampton, New Hampshire. 
I've actually been to the brewery before. On the way back from Maine or New Hampshire, wherever I was, I went there. It's actually a pretty cool brewery. They do a little tour, nice little piece of land, and uh, their beer was pretty good from what I remember. This one, I like it. It's not uh, the typical beer that I drink, maybe, but Gozes in the summertime, I start getting into them. I'll do a few more on the What's on Tap, I'm sure. This is listed as a Berliner-style wheat ale, brewed with pomegranate. So, yeah, it's pretty good. If you're looking for that breakfast beer, if you're looking for something different, something with some zing, some kick, a little fruity sourness to it, this is a nice one. I think it's a little bit sweeter and a little bit fruitier than the usual Goza that I'd go for, but you know what? This thing, it's all right by me. Somebody knows. Pomegranate zing. All right, and now before we get to the next segment, we are going to take a quick commercial break, I think. I've been saying it, doing it, and then apparently I put these podcasts out and there's not an advertisement plugged into the middle of it, so we'll see what happens now. Okay, welcome back to the podcast, I think. We are now going to go over these players in a little bit more detail and get to know the new Joe Douglas Super 10. That's what we're going to refer to this as, the Joe Douglas Super 10. And it was 10 guys. It was nine draft picks. Quincy Wilson, I know that he's kind of like a uh, a misfit toy of the Colts, kind of a forgotten fella that didn't get his uh, big break. Had a couple opportunities but never really pieced it together. He's going to be part of our Joe Douglas Super 10 because he's still young and because he's he's a guy that potentially can play for the New York Jets. We decided that he was better than the sixth-round pick we would have taken. So Joe Douglas has invested that in him. He's part of our 10. So let's start. With our number 11 pick, Mackay Becton. All right, now, my guy Mackay out of Louisville is an offensive tackle who paid, played both left and right side. He's only 21 years old. This kid is six foot seven, 364 pounds. I'm sure that's not a firm 364. That probably fluctuates from between, like, 375 and 360. I can't imagine that you could be that big and just keep it that well. Each meal for him is probably, like, four or five pounds. It probably changes pretty quick if you know what I mean uh, the guy at that size ran a 5-1 40 yard dash that's insane for a man that big he's a mountain and now there's a lot of comparisons to a guy like Jonathan Ogden a hall of famer that guy was six foot nine, like 350 pounds or something an absolute beast as well Makai Becton and I wasn't super high on him going into the the draft process. Not that I didn't want him. He was still one of my top four or five players in the entire draft for the New York Jets. But I had other tackles ahead of him because he's that kind of risky guy. It's like we're drafting him because he could be an absolute freak. That six foot seven, that three sixty four, it's really easy to fall in love with. But as you fall in love with that, he's staying in that same range of the Andrew Thomases and the Jedrick Wills because there's the negative side of him that he's not super technical. He doesn't have perfect footwork. He's not a natural, just like fundamentally sound tackle. Louisville as well also doesn't really do a ton of pass protection sets. They only had like 75 or something his senior year where they actually were in like true pass NFL style formations. It was a lot of like RPOs, a lot of trick plays, a lot of runs up the middle, runs to Makai's side. And this guy is truly a mountain. He levels people. He knocks them over. He knocks them over again. He's impossible to get through if you go straight at him. He didn't have a ton of penalties. He didn't have basically anybody burn him all season. But you can just tell the way Louisville kind of plays a weird offense and the way he doesn't have perfect footwork and stuff, that potentially at the NFL, it could be a different story. So for those reasons, I was a little bit like, all right, Makai's not my first guy. But the more I've thought about it since then, Joe Douglas is an ex-offensive lineman. He knows the offensive line like anything. And we said going in, Joe Douglas's initiative is to build culture and build the wall. 
And what did we do in free agency? We had Alex Clark back, George Fant, Connor McGovern, Alex Lewis. I mean, we went at that offensive line quickly, building the wall. What do we do with our first pick in the draft? We draft a left tackle. So to me, Joe Douglas knows what he's doing with the offensive line. And if he looks at these guys and he says, Mekhi Becton is a guy, a ball of clay, a huge, giant, freaking 600-pound, 364-pound ball of clay that I can mold into the right guy, I'm with him. I believe him. And if he molds that ball of clay properly, he will be the best of the bunch because he's bigger than them and he has the ability to be stronger and just larger, harder to get through than them. So his upside, so great. I love the pick. I love the position of need. I love the idea of having a left tackle again that we can just sure up Sam Darnold's blindside, not be worried about him getting killed. Last thing we need is him taking blindside sacks, right? How worried were we? And he went back after having uh, after having mono and having like an enlarged spleen, and he's wearing his armor on him, and we're watching these games like, oh my god, David Fales and Luke Falk just got sacked 10 times in a game, and now we're putting Sam Darnold out on the field. Like, it was some scary stuff. But now with this whole initiative and having a guy like Makai Becton, that may not be an issue on that side of the field for a very long time. And on top of that, with the way this guy run blocks, the power that he brings, knocking guys over, getting to the second level, taking another guy down, running a 5-1, I mean, he's going to be up in front of Le'Veon Bell, and he's going to make his job easier. I mean, how few times we ran to the left side and even tried to go outside at all with Le'Veon Bell last year? That's going to change this year because we've got the horses, we've got the guys to make those lanes for Le'Veon. It's going to be really nice. I am very happy with the Mackay Becton pick. I do think there's a little bit of worry there. You do have to hope, you know, you're looking for progression from him. You do need him to get a little bit better at footwork, at, you know, flexing his body, getting down to the receiver's level, using his hands a little better. But if he can do that stuff, I mean, this is just an awesome pick. And I don't know if you follow him on social media, but he has said nothing but the funniest, nicest, greatest things. Everything you want to hear from a player when he's part of your franchise. And, uh, yeah, so it's just like one of those guys. Like, so happy to have him. This guy rocks. Makai Becton all the way. Now comes to our pick 48 that we traded for pick number 59, the boy Denzel Mims. Wide receiver out of Baylor. The guy I wanted way back in the draft process. The guy I wanted at pick 48. The guy we got at pick 59. Denzel Mims is 22 years old. A six foot three wide receiver, 207 pounds. So he's big. 6'3", that's a big boy. Here on a 4-3-8 40-yard dash at the Combine. So that's fast. A sub 4-4 at that size? I mean, this is a really good, freakish talent player. You've seen it. He's got circus catchability. He can go up, grab it. He didn't have the most complicated route tree. He doesn't do a ton of different stuff in that Baylor offense. But the New York Jets will be able to use this guy, and even on jump balls. You know Sam Darnold's not afraid to just chuck a ball up to a guy here and there when he sees him open. This is a guy that's going to come down with it. In 40 games, he had 186 receptions, 2,925 yards. He had 28 touchdowns. The guy averaged almost 16 yards per catch, 15.7 he had. Now, if you're wondering, does he do any, you know, trickery stuff, any run plays in a college offense, you'd think, yes, he only had one rush in college. But his best year, senior year, 66 receptions. He had 1,000 yards, 12 touchdowns, and he is good. Now, one of the big concerns, I'm like, why did he drop? Well, I didn't find anything that's really glaring about him as being an issue. But one of the things that you notice is he's got the limited route tree, and he had 24 drops in college, right? He had 11 as a junior. As a senior, though, he cut that number to five. So, yes, it's a lot of drops. You don't want to have 11 as a junior. That's a lot. But to get 66 catches, only have five drops as a senior, it looks like he was improving 
working on his hands, stronger hands, if he continues to get better or just keeps at that trajectory, even where he is right now, that's going to be plenty good. With the speed that he has, the size that he has, the catch radius that he has, Denzel Mims could be a future star of the New York Jets. Don't expect him to be a game changer week one, though I'm sure he's capable of coming in for 40 yards, 50 yards here and there. He's not going to come out and have some 200-yard game, I don't think, right away. It's going to take him a little bit of time to learn the offense, learn Sam Darnold. But coming in together, two young guys, Sam Darnold's first time getting like a really nice young draft pick ball of clay for himself that he can mold and start to get those tendencies where it's like, I kind of know where he likes to run. I kind of know what he likes to look for. Where he likes. Denzel Mims is going to learn all that stuff, and these two potentially could be great for years. So I love the pick. Now pick number 68. This was an interesting one. Because we did have safety as a top 10 position of need for the New York Jets, but we do have two starters, Jamal Adams and Marcus May. So you're thinking to yourself, it's third pick in this draft, third round pick as well, early on, number 68. We could get potentially a needle-moving, game-changing guy in Ashton Davis. Where do we see him fitting in? Well, he's six foot one, 202 pounds, and he would have ran a lightning-fast 40. He didn't run it because he was waiting for his pro day to really show it off. Didn't run at the combine, unfortunately, due to the pandemic. He didn't have an opportunity to do the pro day. But if he had projected anywhere between like a 4.28 and a 4.38 for him, he's fast as heck. Why is that? Because he's a champion All-American hurdler for California. Super fast. The guy's got a super high IQ. He's a great, mature, humble, down-to-earth young kid. I watched a documentary on him or like a 10-minute little video on him and his family and his upbringing. The guy is he's not a kid. He's a man. And he's got freakish speed, freakish traits. He went from walk-on to a star at California. So you know he's got the grind. You know he's got the work ethic to get there. He started as a guy who just went to California for track, doing hurdles and stuff and saying, I want to play football. The guy said, you can try to walk on. Made his way to the best player on the team. Now, it took him a little while to do that, right, because he had to go through the process. He is our oldest prospect of these guys, 23 years old, a little bit on the older side, but he is potentially really good. He played four years at California, the Golden Bears. He had 166 tackles, seven INTs, 12 pass deflections, three fumble recoveries, two forced fumbles. They're not mind-blowing, electrifying stats, but when you watch him play, he can hit hard, he's quick, he's rangy, he's got good size. People say he could possibly play cornerback, and he's going to have an opportunity to do that stuff because Greg Williams runs exotic look defenses. He moves guys around. He likes to do three safety sets and a cover three. He likes to bring a, a safety up potentially to blitz. Guys like Jamal Adams, maybe keep another guy back. A lot of opportunities, zone and man, for Ashton Davis to potentially flourish. Now, he's not going to be asked to be a starter unless somebody gets injured right away at free safety or strong safety. His natural ability, you'd think, leaning more towards free safety, that Marcus May position, maybe a little bit more towards like nickel cornerback, maybe guarding up on a tight end or a speed guy in the slot. He's going to have opportunities to play this stuff, but he's not going to be relied on. It's not going to be his job. You got to come in here and start day one. It's not going to be that. It's going to be, hey, let's see where you fit in. Let's see what kind of packages you work best with. And let's kind of wean you into the offense. And if you do great, or the defense, I'm sorry. Um, and if you do great, you'll get more opportunities. And if not, we'll continue to develop you, and hopefully one day you'll be a star to either replace Jamal or Marcus or work alongside them. And on top of that, I think to myself, I don't know too much about his special team's background, um, but I think to myself, if you can run that fast and you're big and you tackle and you're not afraid of the moment and you're like a you know a mature young kid, you could be a perfect special teams fit. I mean, you could be the best gunner on the team. You could be the coverage guru. And I'd love to see him come in as a rookie and do that role. 
replace the Rontez Miles or one of those guys. So Ashton Davis, pretty happy with the pick. We'll see what happens. A little bit of a project, not a clear path to him starting right away, but definitely a lot of upside, and he's a kid that's very easy to root for. Now pick number 79. At the time, yes, this is one of my least favorite picks of the draft. Now, anything can happen. I am wrong all the time on these guys. He could potentially be awesome. There's no way for me to say he's going to be good or bad or anything in the middle yet to be determined. But the guy is an edge rusher, defensive end from Florida, and it's not because of Ja'Kai Polite that I'm nervous. It's that he was injured. He didn't have crazy big production. Um, you know, he's 6'3", 264 pounds, which you potentially could say is slightly undersized for an edge position defensive end. He ran a 4'6'4", 40-yard dash, which is pretty fast, and he had 29 reps on the bench press, which is a lot. So he's strong, and he's quick. Now, the guy played four years, but he only played five as a senior. So he, he was injured. He had a high ankle sprain, which is potentially a lingering issue that could hold him back. So that's one of the things where it's like, is he a reach? We're kind of like hoping that he had production his senior year, but he didn't have the chance to have it because he only played five games. Hopefully he's not still injured. You don't have a great way to get the doctors to the players in the draft process to find out just how clear he is. But in the seasons, he did have 116 tackles and 18 and a half sacks through his four years. The high ankle sprain is the big thing that I'm nervous about. But what I like about him, the upside of him is he's quick off the ball. He's quick to the backfield and he moves fast down the line of scrimmage. So what I mean is like the ball is snapped and if he's not covered and he's one of those guys on the edge, he pinches quick. He gets to the backfield. He's capable of chasing down a running back before he gets to his hole. He's capable of bringing a quarterback down before he's got a chance to make even his first or second read. And it potentially could be good. Now, he can add weight. A little bit of weight, maybe like 15 pounds, 20 pounds to go to that like 280 or so. And he could move inside. He could line up on a guard. He could line up on a center if he needs to and play more three technique and maybe a 3-4 defensive end rather than a 4-3 defensive end. And he's got a pathway there as well. We always talk about like what the scheme is of the New York Jets and does he fit the New York Jets scheme, right? But if this is a good player, if he's going to stay on the roster, there's a very good chance that he outlives the scheme. Greg Williams has one. Yes, we run a 3-4, yada, yada, whatever it is. It changes all the time, it feels like. And Greg Williams is a very chameleon-style defense that will change with their opponent. But it doesn't—I'm not a big believer in the fact that you have to bring a zone block scheme player into a zone blocking scheme or we're trying to run our, our cornerbacks. We need a press man corner to play this. It's like, listen, if we find the best player who's capable of doing anything at a high level and he's here for a long time, yes, it's ideal if he's perfect and he plays the style that we want perfectly. It's just a seamless transition. That doesn't happen all the time. If it takes him two, three years to develop and get good and find a pathway to start on the field— are you even going to be running that scheme three years from now? Think of what the Jets were doing three years back. I mean, was that like pre-Jeremy Bates and Todd Bowles on defense? Like, it's not the same thing. You can't draft your players based off what it makes sense for Todd Bowles and what makes sense for Jeremy Bates. You got to do it on who's a good player. And if Jabari Zaniga can be a good player, he's going to find a way to get it done with the New York Jets. And Greg Williams will trust me. He's a great defensive coordinator. Greg Williams will find a way to maximize his success. So hopefully he stays quick off the ball, he stays healthy, and Jabari Zuniga is what we hoped we got from Ja'Kai Polite a year ago. Moving over to our next pick, right? We traded our 101 for 125 and 129 in the sixth for the Patriots in 2021, but we have a pick at number 120 now. The New York Jets select Florida running back LaMichael Pirine. This guy's only 22 years old, 5'11", 216 pounds, so really good size for a running back, about your NFL average. 
4.62 40-yard dash, so not blazing speed. Nothing crazy that's going to jump off the charts. 22 reps, not ridiculously strong, but still pretty darn strong. The guy played four years, 40 games, was healthy the whole way through. He had only 565 career touches. This is one of the things that I really like about him. 565 career touches. That's 493 rushes and 72 receptions. So right there, you like your split between receptions and rushes. He's a guy that clearly can do both. You get worried when you draft a guy who's got like, you know, 18 career receptions, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is not going to work in the NFL. But LaMichael Pirine receives the ball very well. 72 receptions, nice split there. But also, when you're under 600 total touches, it's like the wear and tear is significant between that and a guy like Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin who had like 1,200 touches after college. And you just think to yourself, We've seen these guys like Saquon Barkley come out, be great, and get burnt out so quickly. I'm not saying Saquon is done, but you see these guys, and there's a very real scenario where you're a Todd Gurley, and you come in, and you were crushed, used, and abused, and you really don't have it four or five years into a career that you hoped lasted 9-10 all the time. And the reason that these guys you know, decrease value so quickly is the wear and tear on their bodies. Now, it's always less exciting when you get a guy who's got a lot of wear and tear coming out of college because you've basically added say one two three nfl seasons onto a guy before he's even played a snap for you and now you're looking at like how many years can we get out of him two three good years from him and that's about it so little michael Pirine, you see those numbers and you think to yourself well he didn't have those super flashy gaudy numbers he didn't have those thousand yard two thousand yard seasons come out with record-breaking numbers no he didn't have the touches for that but in a way that's really good and no, he doesn't have, he wasn't the best running back in college. We're not going to say that. He wasn't on my list of my top eight or nine guys. I didn't have LaMichael P. Ryan in there, but I've watched him more since drafting him, and I'm starting to like him more because I think he fits the system well. I think that what we've got going on right now, he's a nice mix with Le'Veon Bell because he receives. He can run up the middle. He's a north to south, downfield. He's got a little bit of power. He's got a little bit of speed. He can line up wide and play wide receiver. There's multiple plays that you see. When you watch his highlights, he lines up wide at wide receiver, not even out of the backfield. And he makes catches. He gets it done. That's a guy that you trust. The ball in his hands, if you can line him up wide to catch that, I mean, that that takes a lot for a uh, an offensive coordinator to put their running back in a situation like that. So if he can do it there, he can do it with us. He's very similar to Le'Veon Bell with maybe not the exact same field vision and stutter step style, but, but similar running style and ability set um, as Le'Veon Bell. He doesn't have a ton of wear and tear on his tires, so I'm going to believe in this guy and think that he's a really nice addition. And yeah, he's a fourth round running back from Florida. I mean, this guy is going to be light years better than what we got from a guy like Eli McGuire, Trenton Cannon, those sort of really late round flyer picks from a really small school like Louisiana Lafayette or whatever it was. And it's like, yeah, he ran faster than a bunch of guys that can't run fast. But when you play for Florida, you're playing good teams. When you find production there, it's very possible it's going to translate to the NFL. So this is a very good weapon for the New York Jets offense, and I guarantee he will get over 65 carries or touches this season with the New York Jets as long as he stays healthy. So we're going to see what he can do pretty quickly. I have a feeling his impact will be felt. Now to pick number 125. Thank you, Patriots, for James Morgan, quarterback out of Florida International, previously Bowling Green two schools that you think to yourself that can't be much of a farm system for quarterbacks we don't know what kind of competition they're playing against i hope those numbers were amazing well they weren't necessarily amazing 
he had some pretty decent numbers. But some stuff that we really like about James Morgan coming out, other than the fact that he's a feels like a good leader, very smart, intelligent player, at 23 years old. But this guy's six foot four, 229 pounds. You say right away, I really like his size. NFL-wise, he's got starting NFL quarterback, similar to like a Sam Darnold-style pocket quarterback for the NFL. So that's nice right away. The guy's tough. He had injuries, and he played through them. He's proven it. I mean, he didn't play amazing when he was injured. He was injured senior year. He fought through it all year long. He had a worse year than his junior year, but he played through it, and that says something about a guy. Also, he's got very strong, strong hands, and a strong arm, he can really rocket the ball, flick of the wrist, fire it in there. So it's the kind of arm, you know, I can have some little wimpy Luke Falk noodle arm. Those days are over. James Morgan, not saying he's going to be great, but I'm saying that he brings a sort of NFL level style to it. Now he's got 42 games played in college, 8,654 yards, 65 touchdowns, 34 interceptions, 128 quarterback rating. You see that rating, 128, and you say, well, that's really good. When you think about Florida International, did I say Florida Atlantic? He played for Florida International um, and Bowling Green. You're not thinking about the greatest competition in the world. You're not thinking about being tested all the time. You'd hope that it would be good. You'd imagine if he played at a bigger school, those numbers would dip, maybe significantly. So what's it going to do in the NFL? He's a project player for sure. He did have a good year in 2018, 65% completion percentage, 2,700 yards, 26 touchdowns, only 7 interceptions with a 157 quarterback rating. He doesn't run, so if you're looking for rushing stats, like, does this guy go up? No, he doesn't do that. He's definitely a developmental project quarterback, but when you think about the fact that we don't have a good backup quarterback that we can rely on, you imagine yourself, okay, well, what if we bring in a Josh McCown or a Matt Moore or a player that can kind of help Sam Darnold grow? I like that philosophy. I like that idea, but you're going to be looking for a quarterback next year. You're going to be looking for a quarterback the year after that if you keep going with these older players. You're going to have a revolving door. And how much do they really come in and help you win games at this point? What about a young guy who's smart and a good teammate that can just kind of work and grow next to Sam Darnold? You see the sort of uh, significance and and importance that Adam Gase puts on that because he keeps bringing back a guy like David Fales. And David Fales is never going to light up the field when he plays. He's never going to be a guy that you really want to get out there and be like, oh, we're in good hands because Fales is on the field. No, but what he does is he knows Adam Gase's system. He's, uh, he's kind of an extension of him, an extension of the offense, can work with Sam Darnold, another pair of eyes, a guy holding the clipboard, things like that. James Morgan will probably be that sort of thing, you know, a wall to bounce ideas off for Sam Darnold, a guy who's learning the same thing with him as another extension of the coaching system, but also has way more upside than a guy like David Fales and potentially can develop. So is it maybe a reach at this position in the draft? Yes. We could have had a guy like Jake Fromm who... I don't know if that would have been a bigger issue than not because he's got a bigger name and people would have wanted to see him touch the field and everything. But James Morgan's going to come in quietly, learn with Sam Darnold, hopefully not have too many instances where he's going to have to touch the field for one or two seasons. And when he does come in, can he be somewhat serviceable while being an extension of the offense for Adam Gase, whatever head coach we have at that time? I kind of like the James Morgan pick in terms of that developmental side of it. It's nice to not have a Luke Falk or someone that's just like ruining your season. Moving on. The next one. Pick number 129. Thank you again, Pats. This is offensive tackle Cam Clark. Now we mentioned this guy may easily slide into guard. He's 
22 years old out of Charlotte, six foot four, 308 pounds. When you see that, he's got like 60 pounds less than Makai Becton on the left tackle. He may easily shift to that left guard spot, maybe even right guard spot. This player is somewhat developmental because obviously if you're talking about shifting his position already, you're like, all right, we've already decided he can't really play left tackle. Maybe he's going to be left guard. Now he's got to learn that position. What's it like? Obviously, it's easier to play left guard than left tackle, but you still have to go through the learning curve and the adjustment period. Cam Clark, this is a guy that is going to be able to work his butt off and will hopefully get better. There's reason to believe that he's going to work hard enough to do it because he was voted offensive team MVP in 2017, which is very rare for an offensive lineman to be rated offensive team MVP. Small school, but still amazing. He was team captain in 2018. This is a guy that leads by example. He's a guy that gets it done, finds a way to get it, get it done, and is used to people watching him, looking up to him, and him setting the bar. So when you bring him to the New York Jets, a bar setter, you bring him in, you're talking about culture for Joe Douglas, building that culture up. He wants to have the best culture in sports, the New York Jets. You bring in team captains, offensive MVP, left tackles like this, and you let him get to work. He's going to work his butt off. He's going to find a place to succeed. And with that size, and he does have some ability, he's flashed it before. He very well can find success with the New York Jets. Now he's going to have to polish up his footwork. He's going to have to quicken up his steps a little bit. He had too many penalties most recently in his college career. But this guy, with his size, he does have a lot of promising attributes, especially if you shift him into left, left guard. And then just on top of it, just like the character, the IQ, and the work ethic that he has, those things are very, very important for Joe Douglas and important for this team. He's not going to be asked to play right away. He's going to be given one, two years before he touches the field. And I'll be rooting for him. He's a hard worker. We'll see what he can do. Now you notice at this point we're like, late in the fourth round we're not looking for guys that are going to be immediate difference makers role you know we're looking for like backups we're looking for developmental projects here guys that'll be on the roster two years from now it's kind of what we're looking for at this point pick number 158 our fifth round pick we draft bryce hall cornerback out of virginia and he does not fit that mold of developmental project type of guy this guy could have easily been a first or second rounder but had a broken ankle and fell on draft boards and as far as I can see that's the reason that he fell a broken ankle and when you think about it in terms of injuries a broken ankle is something that you can recover from very easily you're not talking about a high ankle sprain you're not talking about some you know lasting knee issues that a guy has is deteriorating and stuff like that you're talking about a broken bone grows back maybe even stronger and then he's good to go from everything that we've heard Bryce Hall is ready to play and this guy is going to potentially be very good. He's a perfect style fit for Greg Williams' defense. Very excited about this pick. I would have been happy with him in the third round. I would have been happy with this pick. Third round. My dad said it at pick 68. He goes, got to be Bryce Hall. Pick 68. This guy's good. We got him at 158. What? Oh, my gosh. Six foot one, 202 pounds. Now, I don't think he would have ran a very fast 40-yard dash time. That was one of my big kind of bugaboos when I was looking at film before the draft was he's not super fast. Kind of reminded me like that Julian Love, uh, you know, the cornerback the Giants took last year. Same sort of player, and I really liked him too. Bryce Hall, not super fast, but he's got the size that you're looking for. He was first team all-conference in 2018, starting 13 games. Now, he was injured in 2019 with a broken ankle, played only six games, had surgery. But this guy can be press man corner with his size, or he can be a lurking zone cornerback. He plays the ball very well, not the man. He gets over a guy, tips the ball. You want to know how well he tips it? In 2018, he had 21 pass deflections. That's a ton. I mean, he's good. 
The guy also had two sacks, two interceptions, forced two forced fumbles, a fumble recovery. I mean, he's going to be a little slow in one-on-one coverage, potentially matched up against a quick receiver. He could lose that battle one-on-one. You may have to have a little extra safety help brought over to him. But on short plays, short throws, intermediate routes, pressing a guy, or potentially even just having the ball skills to make a play on it, I mean, Bryce Hall is a good player from Virginia, and I'm so happy that he slid here. I think that he could be a real difference maker for the Jets this year, which is not something that you often say about a fifth-round pick. You often say, I hope he's on the roster two years from now. I hope he develops into something. Bryce Hall, baby. Ooh, love that pick. Love that. Maybe my favorite pick in terms of... Denzel Mims was my favorite pick because I just... I wanted him so... I needed a receiver. I needed him. And he's so flashy and so good-looking from college. It was just like, when we got him, where we got him after I thought we did... Denzel Mims, number one pick for me. Bryce Hall, a very, very possible number two. But you know what? He'd have some tough competition because you know who else I love? Pick number 191. Braden Mann. Now we're getting to the point where, like, pick number 191. Who are we drafting here? What schools did they go to? Well, usually when you're looking for, like, an edge rusher, a left tackle, you're really going developmental here. You're not finding a guy who's going to come in and make a difference. You're not finding a quarterback who's going to come in right away and be a big difference maker. It's not happening in the sixth round unless you draft a punter. Texas A&M punter Braden Mann is 511 pounds, a beefy 198. Not really. But even a 4.83 40-yard dash, we're not too worried about the 40-yard dash. Why would that matter for a punter? Well, Braden Mann is ridiculously good at tackling. He has over 11 tackles in punt coverage in his career, and he's not afraid to lower his shoulder, which is always cool to see from a punter. But that's not why we drafted him. Is it because the guy's a kickoff specialist? It's what he did in 2016, 17, 18. Kickoff specialist. I mean, you're talking in 2018, or maybe it was 2016 and 17. Getting my ears confused here, but you're talking about 76 kicks, 55 of them being touchbacks. This guy is a good kickoff specialist, and we know he can tackle. Is that enough to bring this guy in? No, he gets even better. In 2018, his first year really being the kicker displaces his uh, predecessor. He gets a big chance to be the kicker, punter for the team. What does he do? He gets unanimous All-American and wins the Ray Guy Award best punter in the nation. He set the NCAA record of 51 yards per punt. Cannon of a leg. And you're talking about 19 of 50 punts inside the 20-yard line. Touch. He had 11 fair catches, not outkicking the coverage. This guy was absurdly good. The record for longest kicks ever. Average of 51. That's better than Lachlan Edwards ever was kicking the ball. I mean, one of the guys that I listen to and read from, Lance Zerline, does a lot of scouting profiles. He said this guy's not competing to come in and be a kicker or a punter in the league. He's coming to compete to be a top five punter in the league, often compared to Shane Leckler, one of the best punters we've ever seen. This guy punts the ball far. He, he can punt it short with good touch. He tackles. He does kickoffs. I mean, this is everything you want in a punter. And some people are upset. They don't want to lose Locke Edwards. Kind of a fan favorite. It was exciting the way he won the competition against Tom Hackett years ago. Started kind of liking Locke Edwards. But you know what? This guy is going to be a freak. We've got our punter. I don't need to see a competition. I'm sure this guy right here, best punter in the uh, in the college system. He didn't win the Ray Guy Award last year. He came in second. He was second team All-American punter. He's as good as it gets. He is as good as it gets at punting. So I love it. Now you're talking pick 211. 
We traded to the Colts for cornerback Quincy Wilson. They used that pick to draft Isaiah Rogers, another cornerback. So they didn't love Quincy Wilson. He had lost favor with the coaching staff there. He never really proved himself. He was a little cocky. Um, if his name sounds familiar, it's because we scouted him years ago. He was a guy, I think it was the 2017 draft, where there were a bunch of good cornerbacks coming out, and the Jets desperately needed one. Some guys coming out like, um, well, my dad loved Tankersley. He was one of those guys in the drafts that went a little lower. But uh, Marshawn Lattimore, Tredavious White, uh, both Kings, Kevin and Desmond King, um, Fabian Moreau, Sidney Jones, uh, Tease Tabor, who was his teammate, Florida, Chidobi Awuzia, I'm trying to think of the other ones. There were a bunch of these guys in this draft class. Marlon Humphrey was in there. It was just stacked and loaded. And Quincy Wilson, it was the one that we were scouting pretty heavily, and Quincy Wilson was one who came up on the list. And he was considered pretty overrated. He was also pretty cocky, um, not great personality. Some people weren't in love with him, but he was a second-round pick because he's six foot one, 211 pounds. He was second-team All-SEC, and he had a lot of really good traits to him that he was given a chance brought in on potential and that you know athletic ability that he's got Colts gave him a try he appeared in 10 games in his career five the first year five the second year none his third year as you can see he kind of like didn't ever really progress in that system he never got that extra chance he did have a couple really good games I think it was against Travis Kelsey he limited him to like a really pedestrian game and he thought that he was going to move up the depth chart but he didn't he just kind of fell back down and then last year they dropped they dropped a Rakia Sin, and he didn't move up past him. So Quincy, Quincy Wilson was at this point like maybe not going to make the team. He was trending down in that system. So why did the Jets take him, you're saying, the sixth pick? Well, he's got the athletic ability to be a second-round pick. So obviously he's got the size, he's got the, the instincts, the body, and there's some traits that are worth taking him second round, right, originally a few years ago. Greg Williams made some of the worst cornerbacks I've ever heard of look pretty darn good in the NFL. I'm not talking great, but I'm talking like permissible starting cornerbacks. Arthur Ballettes. I'm talking about Maurice Kennedy's. Bless Austin. I know we like Bless Austin. Maybe we like Arthur Ballette too. Kyron Brown. It was unbelievable the players that he fielded on that team. We had no business stopping the pass ever. We didn't even have a pass rush. We had no business doing that. Jamal Adams alone on an 11-man defense is not enough to say, like, well, we can maybe stop him. No, somehow Greg Williams got the best out of these guys and made them look successful, got them in good positions to succeed. And Quincy Wilson, yes, you know, he's he's had a troubled NFL career so far, but if he gets the most out of people, takes a former second-round pick, I think it's potentially worth the gamble of a sixth-round pick. I mean, what are you going to take in the sixth round? kind of player you're going to get there a real developmental problem project you can't have all projects maybe it's worth bringing in a guy seeing what he can do and you know what if you want to cut him cut him it's not the end of the world it's a sixth round pick that you lost and we still ended up drafting nine guys we came out of this thing with 10 guys we were supposed to get eight so no reason not to say worth a shot not the flashiest pick in the world Maybe not a guy who's going to make a big difference for the New York Jets, but he gives us a chance, and if Greg Williams thinks he can work with him, I'm for it. Another cornerback, position of need. All right, so that's really good. So that is our 2020 New York Jets draft class, the Joe Douglas Super 10. Ah, I love it. I love the group. I love the positions of need. I love the steals. I love getting extra picks. I love the players. I think it's going to be a dynamic group. Only time will tell, but right now I love it. So I am really dogging it here, falling behind schedule. I got to get to a pretty awesome section 
Father Time, the section where my father shares with me and us his thoughts on the New York Jets as it pertains to that current week. We just had the New York Jets draft, and he has some thoughts on that. So I will be reading an excerpt written by my father, David Burnham, on this week's Father Time. All right. Nearly everyone at least loves the Becton and Mims picks. I expect them to be keys to the new resurgent Jets of 2020. However, I do question the pick of James Morgan, quarterback out of Florida International. I suppose a veteran would be much more expensive, so we'll chalk it up to dollars. He's known to be very smart, so he can be a long-standing, old-style backup to Sam. There are two picks, however, that I've done a complete 180-degree turn on. I originally wasn't in favor of either. First one, Jabari Zuniga, edge rusher out of Florida. He had a high ankle sprain in 2019, a lingering type of setback. However, in 2018, he was highly productive. He participated in the combine, and he was sixth or higher in all drills that he competed in. Out of 93 guys, sixth or higher in all of them. Second fastest at a 4.64 40-yard dash. By the way, he bulked up 20 pounds for the combine from 246 to 264. He can handle 264 and keep his speed. Great sign. He was fifth in bench presses at 29. This includes defensive linemen. He had a 33-inch vertical. Remember the high ankle sprain? Some say he has a slow get-off. Well, he had a 1.61 second 10-yard split, the fastest out of all 93 players from that position group. Joey Bosa had a 1.68. Last, he has hand placement issues and lacks a maraud of rushing moves. All coachable. He's fast, quick, strong. Enough said. Great edges are really hard to find. Great pick. Let's watch. Mr. Zuniga, welcome to the Jets. Now, Ashton Davis. A hurdle track star who's smart, fast, and can cover like a DB. And tackles. Sounds like a textbook free safety. Is he a Jamal Adams replacement? No. Is he a Marcus May replacement? Probably not. May is already 27 years old, and Davis will provide continuity in the long term a key to a solid franchise. So, I expect May to get a front-loaded contract soon, continue to be the best tandem of safeties in the NFL, and after two or three years, Davis will be a seasoned veteran, ready for a step seamlessly in. And in the meantime, Greg Williams will create many opportunities for Ashton Davis on the field. Mr. Davis, welcome to the Jets. Go Jets. End scene. So that is this week's father time for my dad. And you know what? This was one of my favorite that he's ever done because these are the two picks that I was a little bit critical of myself. And it makes sense, right? We both talked to each other a ton, so we both kind of like convinced each other these aren't great picks. We also didn't scout them together. And uh, and the positions, the players, the time, it just felt a little bit odd at first. A little reminiscent of Mike McCagnon's drafts for a quick moment. Had that thought. It's gone now. But when he talked about Zaniga, I didn't know that stuff about the Combine. I mean, this guy came in and was a combine workhorse. If you're top six in all those things, just like he said, a high ankle sprain, that should limit you in a 10-cone shuttle, in a in a 40-yard a dash, in a vertical jump. That should be limiting you. If it's not, if you're still better than everybody else in those drills, better than guys like Joey Bosa and some, then you're obviously feeling all right. And you're a freak of nature. So you found a guy who maybe trended down in the draft because of an injury, and now He's kicking it like that in the combine. I mean, he's worth a shot. And like my dad said, he's always said this. He's big on edge rushers are very hard to find. 
when you get them, you pay them. They're paid a ton. They're very hard to get in the open market. You have to draft them. And because you have to draft them, a lot of teams like to get them early. There's not a ton coming out of college. There's not a lot of guys, edge rushers, that are drafted late rounds, usually fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. You don't find a ton of talent there. The Venom Metal edge rushers, my dad says, are the worst because they just never get any better. They're just no good. You've seen how many the Jets have had over the years, developmental edge rushers. Here's another one. But maybe he dreaded down because of the injury. Maybe he's got more than we thought, and I'm with my dad on that. And the other one that he had, Ashton Davis, you know, I was a little bit skeptical. Like, I'm not skeptical because it was a position of need, but just like, you know, at that spot in the draft, it's like, you know, he doesn't really have a, a direct pathway onto the field right away, so maybe we could have had somebody else that could have made a bigger impact for 2020. But he's exactly right. I mean, the flexibility it gives you with the contracts between Marcus May and Ashton Davis, Jamal Adams having another safety, and the way Greg Williams uses the defense and a bunch of different players, I mean, he really could be a game changer, and he could make a decision so much easier when it comes to contract negotiations like this year, next year, the year after. Having a player like this is awesome. And all good teams in the NFL, they have depth pieces, right? Depth is a luxury. The New York Jets are getting to the point where they're drafting some of that. Potentially, they have really good players not starting on the field. We're not used to that. We're used to, like, barely fielding enough good players and then some of them getting injured and playing a bunch of guys off the streets. That's what it feels like for these most recent years. But now it feels like there's some players, this 10-man draft class, this Joe Douglas Super 10, that we're coming out of this thing with players at positions that necessarily don't even have to be great right away. You know, developmental quarterbacks, backup running backs, backup safeties, developmental interior offensive linemen. There's a lot of things to love about this draft class, and those two guys, he hit the nail on the head. Um, I'm starting to do a 180 on it, too, and hearing him say stuff like that, it's like, ooh, I see what he's thinking. I see it, and I can get on board, especially because there's no way to know for sure until you see these guys play. So why am I going to sit here just saying, like, well, because of a name, he played at this school, he's not going to be good, this and that. I mean, how many times do people say that, and they're absolutely dead wrong? I don't want to be the guy who's just like, everybody sucks, this draft is horrible. Then I find out they're good. But because I said it for so long that I didn't like it, that I'm kind of like in my head not rooting for them because I don't want to be wrong. So I like have this bitter feeling towards them. That's not the game you want to be playing. These guys, we're rooting for all of them. I think they all could be great. I see the reason we picked all of them. And, you know, that brings me to, to one of my last segments of this this podcast here tonight. Um, actually, before I do that, we're going to try another commercial here. Let's see what happens. All right, welcome back. Um, I want to say thank you again, Dad, for that awesome podcast uh, insert there, the father time. Do wish you were a little higher on James Morgan, but I get the hesitancy. I see why not. Hopefully he proves you wrong. All right, so before that, I want to, I want to quick talk, quickly talk about uh, Joe Douglas and kind of what I think about him from this draft. I wasn't exactly sure what he was going to do. I had a feeling that he was going to go offensive line. I had a feeling that he had to get a wide receiver. thought we'd get two or three. We only left with one. Um, I thought that we had to get a cornerback, edge rusher, whatever. I had my positions in need. I thought he would prioritize that. I didn't think he would do a bunch of ridiculously weird picks like Mike McCagnon did. Weird projects, small school guys, big reaches, trades that made no sense. Joe Douglas, um, there was a, a tweet, I think it was from Warren Sharp, that had a, a table showing the value that a team started with in the draft and then what they turned it into and who added the most value through the draft from like you know the point system of your draft picks, what you had what you ended with. The New York Jets were by far and away the most value-added team in the entire draft. Joe Douglas still got the guys that he wanted. They still got guys like Denzel Mims, Bryce Hall, 
I mean, it just felt like it felt like he was in control of the draft instead of sitting there being like, "Oh my gosh, what's happening? What are we doing?" Like it was with Mike McCagnan, like, oh, "Are we are we drafting? Are we a tight why why tight end?" All that stuff the whole time scratching my head. Joe Douglas, it felt like he was just cool, calm, collected, sitting back in his chair saying, "You know what? We can trade back, get more picks and still get our guy." You know what? We can get this guy later. Let's not bite. Let's not go too early and panic on a player that we like. I mean, it just felt in control. I also love the way he preached culture when he came here. He preached building an offensive line. He preached culture. Culture, he wants to have the best one in sports. He wants to have a bunch of good, hardworking players, guys that want to win, guys that strive to be better than other people, guys that, you know, put 110% every single day on the field, in the locker room, guys that are, you know, first to first to be there for practice, last to leave, a bunch of those guys, team captain type guys, leaders, people that push you to be better. And we added more of those guys. I think three of the players or four of the players that are in this draft that we took were former team captains in college, leaders, men. None of these guys have character issues. None of these guys are coming in with long-standing, serious injuries, not ready to perform right now. It feels like we've got 10 guys ready to play. The only real character issue that I could see in this group, um, for what I've watched, is Quincy Wilson. He was part of the Joe Douglas Super 10, the trade from the Indianapolis Colts. He's cocky. Don't love his demeanor on the field. But other than that, I mean, these guys, they are good players ready to work. And when you have them and you surround 10 guys like this coming in here ready to go with all the other players that we're going to have through training camp and on the final roster, it really sends a message to other players. It sends a message to the bottom half of the roster, and it sends a message to the top half of the roster. The bottom half, they see this is what it takes to get up there. The top half guys, they say, I got players coming for me, gunning for my spot. Let's all be great together. Let's win together. Let's put it in together. I think it's going to make a big difference. I think that it's stuff that the Jets have lacked for a long time. It feels like since like the beginning of the successful Rex Ryan years was the last time that we had a culture that really felt like a, a cohesive unit. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick was there for a bit for a cup of coffee and it felt all right, but guys like Brandon Marshall and Sheldon Richardson, they just weren't vibing right. And I think that when you look past Jamal Adams and some of the outspoken things that he says, which usually aren't even all that negative to begin with, when you look past that, I mean, it's a bunch of good guys out there that are just ready to work hard. And I think that I think that it's going to pay dividends for this team. And I think Joe Douglas is doing exactly what he said he'd do, and I think that he is more... I, I don't want to say that he's calculated and, like, you know what he's going to do, but it just feels like he has a plan and we're all a part of it. It feels like we know we're going to build an offensive line, we're going to make Sam Darnold successful... We're going to develop and build through the draft. We're not going to panic. We're going to be okay. We're going to have good guys ready to work hard. And that's not giving the secrets of the franchise away to the other teams. But that's stuff that you can get on board with as a fan. And when I'm looking at it right away, from everything that I've seen from this guy, this being his first draft, everything I've seen, I'm so very impressed with him so far. I can't say enough good things. I mean, he's got a lot of work to do still. We still haven't won any games, right? He's still got to... Let's make the playoffs. Let's see these guys successfully perform on the field we haven't gotten there yet but just from where you could be right now in april how could you not love it how could you not love it <laughs> i mean is this is the team that we want to build and it's happening right before our eyes so i'm i'm enjoying the ride for sure so that's my thoughts on joe douglas and then the last section that i want to talk about before we leave here is undrafted free agents we don't have a ton to talk about here because i don't have a ton of thoughts on these guys one player i really wanted lamar jackson 
cornerback out of what do we have here i already knew this cornerback out of nebraska that's what it is because no cornerbacks come from nebraska um this guy's six foot three athletic long rangy i liked him i wanted him in round five or six of the nfl draft i was saying lamar jackson and we're not talking about the guy from the ravens same name ours will be better don't worry i wanted this guy i think that he's got the skill set i think that he's tall He's definitely a project. He's not going to come in right away, but he's going to be in training camp and he is going to compete. And I would not be surprised if he made the final roster. And I know it's actually weird because you think to yourself, like, we have a really deep cornerback room, which is so different than what we said a year ago and different than what we said probably even like a month ago. We haven't even had very many players in free agency, but we were thinking to ourselves, like, this is a huge need. We have no corners. And along the way, we re signed Brian Poole, we signed Pierre Desir, we get rid of guys like Daryl Roberts and Trumaine Johnson. We bring back Arthur Mollette, but then we bring in Bryce Hall, Lamar Jackson. We have a guy like Ashton Davis who potentially can play some slot types. And all of a sudden you're like, we kind of have, and Quincy Wilson, the end of the Joe Douglas Super 10. You start thinking to yourself, like, we kind of have a group here that we're going to have to cut some players that maybe aren't so bad. And that's a good feeling for the first time at a position group that's been sorely lacking. I'm pretty pleased with that. Um, he was my favorite free undrafted free agent signing, Lamar Jackson, the cornerback. Um, other guys, we drafted another cornerback, Javelin Guidry. He's from Utah. He's ridiculously fast. I'm not sure how he'll make it, but uh, crazy fast, so we'll see if that speed pays off. An edge rusher who potentially could be pretty good, Bryce Huff from Memphis, actually was a pretty good player, and people are surprised that he was undrafted. The New York Jets add him to the mix. So where we're you know missing edge rushers, and we really need a guy there to kind of get after the quarterback, linebacker Bryce Huff potentially could be that guy. We've got a defensive tackle, Sterling Johnson from Coastal Carolina. A defensive lineman, Dominique Davis from UNC Pembroke. Offensive tackle, Jared Hilbers, Washington. Uh, a d- defensive back, Shaheem Carter from Alabama. Wide receiver, George Campbell from West Virginia. And a guy that I have heard of that potentially could be good, wide receiver, Lawrence Cager from Georgia. So we did bring in two more wide receivers from the undrafted free agent group. And some defensive linemen, offensive tackle, and those cornerbacks we talked about, and an edge rusher. So that group, if I believe it was 10 is not super flashy other than maybe Lamar Jackson and the uh, Bryce Huff pick. But when you're looking at it like, yeah, those names mean nothing, and most of those guys, 80% will be nothing, and we will never hear from them again. They will fizzle out. They'll play in training camp. We'll watch them be like, ugh, what is this? And then they'll be gone. But the other guys, you find a couple good players in undrafted free agency every year. There's always those guys, and sometimes they're great. They're like Damon Harrison, Robbie Anderson-level players. Other times they're just like, decent contributors for a long time they're just players that maybe are are in the mix they're part of your practice squad they're part of the back end of your 53-man roster and they actually stick around for a while and these guys i would expect a few of them to make the final roster i don't know which ones i couldn't tell you my guess would be lamar jackson bryce huff lawrence cage would be my first picks if i was picking but who knows and so we're going to monitor those guys and see what they can do joe douglas when the draft was over had this list of guys he reached out to them right away said hey will you come play for us they say yes i mean there's a reason that he picked them and he wants to bring them in here he sees something in all of them he knows who they are and he you know they were selected so we'll see if the positives that he saw from them will play a part of the new york jets team next year so yeah i don't have a ton more left to talk about in this episode i think that i uh i think i basically covered everything right there's not uh a ton to talk about with these players. We can go through their college performances and, and things like that, their measurables and whatnot, which I did some of, but there's plenty more to get into, plenty more backstory on these players and, and histories from where they came from. 
but it really comes down to how they perform on the field, and we won't find out until hopefully, you know, August, September. Training camp battles will be fun. I will definitely be putting out a podcast episode. Um, I'm not sure exactly when. I'm not going to do one super soon, but probably in a few weeks at most, maybe like a month, to start doing like training camp battles between these guys. We now have our free agent group. We have our um, draft group. And we've got the players that we have returning from contracts. We've basically got what's our final 90-man roster. And we can start kind of trying to figure out, all right, what are we going to have for a final roster? What are our battles? Who's competing for a spot? Right, We know Sam Darnold isn't competing for a spot. But is a guy like David Fales competing with James Morgan? Potentially. You know, We know that Jameson Crowder is not going to be competing for a spot. But is a guy like Braxton Berrios going to be trying to hold on to the roster? from a guy like Lawrence Cager, and it's Vincent Smith. There's plenty of guys like that that we're going to get into and start talking about training camp battles, so I'll look forward to that. And as things come up in the meantime, I'll be posting on Twitter. You can follow me there, at Jets underscore Dan, as always, where I put uh, my thoughts. Feel free to engage with me, have conversations, let me know what you think, thoughts on it. And, uh, yeah, we'll just keep following this thing. Hopefully there's an NFL season. Hopefully nothing's delayed or slowed down by this coronavirus situation. But there's a lot of good football ahead for these New York Jets. Whenever it does happen, they are going to be ready. Adam Gase has to get them there, but we got some players, we got some horses, and this team going into next season is way better than it was going into last season. And the players that we lost last season that were injured, guys like C.J. Mosley, guys like Avery Williamson, they're back right now. There's still going to be some more free agent moves made by the New York Jets. It's a very fluid situation. We could still add a cornerback, an edge rusher, running back there's still some positions that we could go after um, and there's still some players on our team that we could cut to save some money but for the most part we've got a pretty good grasp on where we are right now and there's no reason to not be excited we got an extra playoff team going on the fold this year and our AFC East division looks like dog mess nobody is predicting that the AFC East is going to be super competitive this year the Patriots don't even have a quarterback still they didn't come out of this draft with a quarterback the Dolphins do they have a quarterback? I mean, two is not going to be ready to play. I can't imagine. And then you got Josh Allen versus Sam Darnold. This is going to be very, very interesting. And if the New York Jets get good quick, it's going to show quickly because the division is is waiting for somebody to take it. I want to be that team. I'm ready for it. Let's follow this New York Jets team. Let's get ready for one heck of a season, one heck of a training camp, and see what these new dogs can do. The Joe Douglas Super 10 is officially here. Welcome to the New York Jets. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life.